I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I am here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and to speak to whoever I want. Staying independent has allowed me to speak freely and to tell the truth, no matter how unpopular, for many years now. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. We've seen over the last few years how deeply compromised big media is and how willing mainstream journalists are to twist facts and hide the truth to sell a narrative dictated by those in power. I won't ever trade my integrity or my free speech for a paycheck, but that means I need your help. I rely on donors and patrons, so individuals, to support my work so that I can continue to do what I do. If you appreciate the kinds of conversations we're having at the same drugs, please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy, where patrons get early access to episodes, exclusive access to full videos that do not go up on YouTube, as well as the opportunity to submit questions to select guests ahead of interviews. Another great way to follow and support my work is on Substack, where subscribers can be sure not to miss a single episode and they can keep up with all my writing. Just head over to www.meganmurphy.ca to subscribe. And finally, you can support this podcast directly on Spotify by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. Don't forget to also, while you're there, click the follow button so you don't miss new episodes. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm. Today on the show, I am speaking with Chadwick Moore, author of Tucker Carlson's biography called Tucker. Hello, Chadwick. Thank you so much for joining me on The Same Drugs. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Great to be here. You wrote a really cool book. I have it right here. I'm so happy to have a hard copy. I love it. I love carrying it around with me places. <laughs> That's the fun part, isn't it? <laughs> I love going for dinner in uh, blue states and holding it up. <laughs> well, you know, that cover was intentional for that reason. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, well, I, I think it's yeah, You can read it uh, and enjoy it that way, or you can. it's an accessory. It's like a... <laughs> You know, it's a more subtle MAGA hat, if that's a little too forward for your environment. You just yeah. pop it down next to you on the subway car or at dinner and um, and just see what happens. Yeah, a real conversation starter. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a fire starter, depending on where yeah. you're at. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because, you know, like I never followed Tucker Carlson at all, honestly, um, in part because I'm Canadian and I never watched American news, never mind Fox. Um, I grew up in like a super left household and I encountered him for the first time when he invited me on his show and that was quite a few years ago now. Um, and he was just like such a really nice guy. Like he was such a nice guy. He seemed 
genuinely interested in listening and hearing, very polite, despite knowing that at the time, I, I no longer really do, but at the time I was identifying as like a socialist and a feminist. So you could fairly assume that we had different views on the world. Um, but yeah, he was great. And I remember after that clip aired, I got a text from one of my really old friends from high school who I was still friends with at the time being like, essentially, really? Tucker Carlson? It was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a question, but uh-huh. Um, and like, that's, that's pretty much the response that you get from not just leftists, but probably liberals too. Have you, have you found that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, my first time on Tucker Carlson was February 2017, and that was enough to get me fired from all my jobs and blacklisted <laughs> from everything. And I just didn't understand it. And of course, I didn't really know him then. Like, I didn't really, I knew like who he was, but I didn't, you know, now obviously I wrote his biography, so I, I think I know him quite well. But the, the, I, you know, it's something I, that, I, that, you know, I was thinking about a lot in the course of writing this book is, um, that visceral hatred that the left has of him and the, the establishment right hates him for different reasons. And, you know, it was the establishment right that took him out. Uh, if we can call it that in Fox News, it wasn't the left. But um, and we, we can get into that later if you want. But definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, and I, I think that one. Well, OK, firstly, you know, I asked Susie, his wife, and I'm like, I'm like, why does why do people hate him so much, you know, as opposed to maybe other people in his position. And, you know, she just said, I think it's because he's so confident. You know, he just, he just is who he is and lives, exists in the world with total honesty and really doesn't care. And that drives people absolutely insane. And I think that's a big part of it. Another part of it, I think, is that he, there's a reason why like media matters in these places, like they hired like entire assassination squads to do nothing but watch his show and then cut like five seconds of a 15 minute beautifully crafted monologue, cut out five seconds and say he's a racist and you have to boycott his show. And I think a reason for that is, is because if, if liberals, like real liberals, not, you know, devout communists who are very open about what they believe, which is, you know, what they believe, but real liberals, if they were to sit down and, and watch his show, they would find themselves absolutely agreeing with him on, on many things. If maybe not his approach, which would maybe grow, grate them the wrong way, you know, that he, he grates very polite people the wrong way. But um, <laughs> like the fact that he represents so much of what the left used to be identified by and still sort of wishes they were, but certainly aren't. And they don't even pretend that they are those things anymore. Those things being anti-war, pro-free speech, anti-corporatist, you know, uh, those I think are three big things that define his show and his audience uh, and his outlook that if the left admitted that he's the biggest voice of that and that is more aligned with the right today, it drives them crazy. They can't. So they they have to smear him and hate him and fear him. Um, his biggest, weirdly enough, I think like a staple on this TV show was always the disaffected liberal and, you know, who had some, and, and I was one of them, my first appearance, the liberal who gets cast out of, of liberal society uh, or who leaves the left. Now, that was always a staple on his show. And it was also a huge staple in his audience. And he also had the highest ratings of uh, 25 to 54-year-old Democrats in all of cable news. More 25 to 54-year-old Democrats were watching his show than were watching MSNBC. That's like scary stuff. That's why he has to be like constantly maligned as the worst person in the world. 
And then when you meet him and you like figure out what he's really like, um, it couldn't be further from the truth, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the way that he's talked about, this isn't uncommon for the left. I mean, the right probably does it too, but I think because I was on the left for so long, I'm probably more like, well, really quite hyper aware of how they behave and how they treat what they view as their political enemies. But the way that he's talked about is like he's the worst guy in the world. You know, he's consistently called a white supremacist. Um, he's called obviously, you know, like a sexist. He's called transphobic. And I struggle to know why that is. You know, why is it that people are so, I mean, you're right. It's probably in part because he's confident. I mean, I think people get angry when they can't bully people into submission. He's obviously a free thinker. But, you know, he's also like, he's really, really, really popular. As you say, he's, it's not as though he's just popular on the right. He's not just popular with conservatives or Republicans. He's also popular with liberals and, and Democrats. And he has hosted leftists on his show numerous times and they have a totally respectful relationship and dialogue. And yet the left, um, you know, really just despises him and, and says and labels him in the worst ways possible. And I don't even know if they know what his views are. I'm not sure that they know what views of his they actually hate. Do you think that it's actually that they're aware of things that he says or his views or his politics and they hate that? Or do you think they've just created this character caricature for some other reason? Uh, I, I think it's, I, can, I think they probably can't point to, if you were asked why they hate, they, if you take a, a random lefty and pluck him out of the crowd and say, why do you hate Tucker Carlson? They would say, because he's a racist. Yeah. He's a transphobe. Like that's what they would say, obviously. And then you'd say, really, what did he say? And they would say, well, I, one time, and then they would fumble and maybe think of some two second clip they saw completely out of context, but they wouldn't know, obviously. Yeah. They would have no clue. It's, it's like the exact same with Donald Trump. I think one of the reasons why they probably really hate him is that he's, again, like so confident, but that approach that he, um, so successfully mocks the left and he's always having a good time and laughing. You know, like they, they do not like to be mocked. Like they do not like to be mocked. <laughs> it really drives them crazy. They don't have a great sense of humor. They do humor, not do they? have a good sense of humor. <laughs> they really don't want to be mocked. And, um, and, and whenever someone successfully does that, of course, it's a, it's, it's a, a tailspin. It's a six alarm fire. Uh, so I mean, the reason why they actually hate him, it's, it's, you know, he even, it's so funny. He said something to me for the book. You know, he, you know, we're just sort of talking about like, um, just this sort of changing political paradigm. And I mean, I mean, Tucker Carlson's kind of a figurehead and at the center of a lot of these things that are changing both in the media landscape where, you know, independent media is, I think, eclipsing mainstream media in terms of relevance and significance now. And also in the political landscape where Tucker's very much at this, place where left and right don't really mean the same anymore. Democrat and Republican don't. Liberal conservative don't. And Tucker's always been this kind of, he describes himself as a civil, a civil libertarian, uh, which is, you know, I always thought we're kind of like what everyone is supposed to be, like a live and let live person without believing in like libertarian policies of like open borders or unfettered capitalism or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, he's always kind of been the same person, perhaps, become more galvanized in certain areas and on certain issues. Um, but I think that, again, I think that it's the reason why they really hate him so much is he holds a mirror up to the left in a way that no one else really can or has, or at least 
um, with that kind of platform. You know, he really shows them where they're failing and where they pretend to be certain things. Uh, and of course, they're the exact opposite. Um, I think like his like the fact that he was so critical of corporatism in the most corporative settings on Fox News, yeah. you know, and the only voice to do that. Uh, you know, I thought that like I grew up like the left was like always like distrustful of big business. And the right was distrustful of government. And then in the middle, you had supposedly a, a nice society. And now it's the left is all in for big business and big government. And then it's everyone else who's cast aside who are gravitating towards people like Tucker or Trump or, you know, any of these other voices that are just kind of like, like the leave me the hell alone party and like the anti BS party, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like the anti corruption party. Um, that's the, the, truth I can think party. Of. the truth party. Cause liberals have all become, they're all rich now and fat and happy and they're all hypocrites. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he knows those people so well he, that they don't like being reminded of what they pretend to be versus what they really are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the left refuses to admit that they have become pro-corporation now. Every single belief, political, ideological belief, every single policy that they support is also supported by corporations and signed on to by every single powerful institution that exists, you know, academia, the UN, the who, (laughs) and then, you know, like Amazon and uh, Meta and Big Pharma. And it's like they cannot, they can't realize, they can't figure out and they can't recognize or they can't admit that these words left and right really have lost all meaning if this is the case, that these, these labels aren't important anymore if they don't, you know, you know, left and right clearly can switch on a moment's notice, and then people will still pretend as though there is such a thing. Um, I'm curious to know what, so you, I mean, you call Tucker a a civil libertarian. Um, I mean, what are his political views? Does he have political views or is he more of a truth seeker? He's so, yeah, I mean, he calls himself that, a civil libertarian. And, you know, his father, Dick, is very much that, who I I got to know when working on this book. and, And Dick is his greatest mentor. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I think it, it is certainly that live in that live attitude. You know, he's certainly not like, you know, against like gay marriage or gay people, at least he's not against, you know, trans people, blah, blah. I think it's, it's that attitude. I, you know, I think when it comes to like actual beliefs, like if you put, if you put like, you know, certain things, like he's definitely like super pro-life. Uh, he's very anti-abortion. He's super pro-environment. He's, but, you know, I don't think that you can like pinpoint like, you know, everything he believes is very, is out there. It's those A block monologues, um, that he's so famous for, you know, on his Fox show. That's all him. That's all his writing. Mm-hmm. And his show itself, he wouldn't report on anything or do a segment if he didn't actually care about it. You know, that's why he could get away with doing segments about like architecture, you know, about like beauty, the beauty of the buildings we have. He could talk about that on cable news and no one else on cable news could talk about that because they don't, they're probably stupid. And then also like they don't care, you know, so it's not going to work. But he, you know, absolutely does care about those things. So it really, or UFOs, you know, that's another thing. He's actually <laughs> interested in that. So it worked on the show and became like an audience favorite. And now all the other networks are mimicking his UFO coverage after they mocked him for it when he first started to do it. But I think what the bigger question is, is, you know, he's he's not interested in politics per se. Um, you know, the sort of people he hates more than anything are, uh, you know, um, just uh, blind partisans, people who just repeat 
party lines and have the memo hand, handed down from him. That's the people he really despises. Um, but he, he's not interested in politics per se. He's, he's far more interested in questions of, uh, morality, spirituality, beauty and aesthetics, family, um, uh, nature, God. Like that's what he, and that's what we talked about most of the time when I was with him, uh, you know, things like that. And that was, you know, very fascinating. He sees those things as intrinsic to politics, but in terms of like the point scoring between Republicans and Democrats, he couldn't care less. Um, I think that he's also someone who grew up in this world, this rarefied world of, of Washington, D.C. media and politicians in Northwest Washington, very rich area. He's not from there originally, but he spent most of his adult life there. Uh, so he knew all these people, these, these swamp people, how they operated, the, how horrible and corrupt they were and how they're, you know, cannibalizing the rest of this country for their own personal gain. And I think that that truly drives him insane. I think that he really wants to expose that. You know, the, the tagline of his show, uh, was the sworn enemy of lying, pomposity, smugness and groupthink. That didn't come from anywhere. You know, I think that's something that truly motivates him to, to make sure like Americans know how horrible these people are that he knows so well. He's, he's a true insider into that world. Um, so I think that's sort of his politics, you know, like I think that's how you kind of sum it up. It's like defined by the bigger questions he's interested in. And then also this sort of evil he sees infecting things that you can't really define a sense of good and evil, except that you just know it, you know, it, it comes from bigger than you, you know, evil when you see it and you want to expose it and talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I was interested to, you wrote about this in the book, to hear his views on abortion. Um, you referenced a clip, I think that was from 2022, because, you know, I'm, I am pro-choice. Uh, I think it is a decision that a woman has a right to make, um, for her own body and life. But his view is, compelling and it seemed like it was really kind of an anti-corporate even anti-capitalist view yeah he had a really interesting take on that because he was sort of speaking directly to young women and saying you know like uh you know you're being like oh so you'll be happier ascending to i can't remember the exact quote but ascending to Vice like president of, of yeah yeah you'll be happy uh, extending to like vice president of international bonds at Citibank then you know that that's your life goal rather than having children starting a family and and what does it mean when your corporation is going to pay for you to have an abortion and fly you out of state or whatever else they're going to do like you think that's a good thing like why would they be doing that I mean I think it was like a, a compelling way to you know you can say okay women should have a choice in this you could have different views on that but there's also like I think this sort of undeniable message that's being pumped down from the left and the corporations that this is an inherently good thing. You need to do this to show how uh, free or liberated or whatever you are, rather than, you know, how it used to be safe, legal and rare. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't like celebrate this or shout it, you know, <laughs> or also maybe it's a personal thing. But I think when he, when he writes about getting um, the, how corporate liberal institutions are so in favor of this that you should really question why that is uh it's i think it's super compelling and i i haven't really heard anyone else like make that argument before no i hadn't either um and yeah this idea that it's better or it'll make a woman happier to dedicate her life to a company or a corporation rather than dedicate her life to family to raising kids to something 
that is a lot more meaningful than working for a city bank. And I'm not saying do one or the other necessarily, or that women shouldn't have careers if that's what they want. Of course, <laughs> of course. But yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, is this, you're going to dedicate yourself to this company that doesn't care about you. That's not going to bring your life any meaning whatsoever beyond, you know, maybe, maybe, but not even certainly maybe financial stability. Yeah. I remember like, not too long ago when all the feminists were saying like, no, 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 we want exactly as you said, the option between starting a career, being single, whatever, entering that world, or also being a state, no, we support the housewife. We support the woman who make that choice. Yeah. Uh, you don't hear that anymore. And it's almost like if sex in the city were made today, like they, they were, they would never have written Charlotte into it. You know what I mean? Right. But, I don't know if you've seen the show, but the Tradway. Um, yeah. <laughs> or aspiring Tradway for much of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm interested. I was interested to discover that one of his idols beyond his dad was Hunter S. Thompson. Doesn't that make you think of him really differently? Yes, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, I love Hunter S. Thompson, but it's so, yeah, it, I think it really helps understand him and kind of what drives him and who he is. And it, yeah, it really changes your view of who this guy is as a, a person and a media figure. Oh, absolutely. It puts him in a whole different, like, world, right? That you, like, never thought was even there. Um, yeah, he, he discovered Hunter S. Thompson at a super young age. And, uh, um, and it, he was a literary mentor. And then, you know, I write about the time that he actually met Hunter S. Thompson. And, you know, the first time was super disappointing. And the second time was a little different. But, you know, Hunter was, you know, drunk and on drugs and out of his mind all the time, obviously. Um, but the fact that, like, I think that, I think that's really important to understanding who Tucker Carlson is. The fact that that was one of his literary heroes, and the fact that he is an extremely literary guy, uh, yeah. and it's a sort of it's certainly who his father was as a young man. His father as a young man, the way he described his life and what he was looking for was very much like a kind of Jack Kerouac on the road kind of guy, but more not the hippie version. I guess more of a conservative libertarian version of that. Uh, and so that like puts so much into context about the world Tucker grew up in and, and, you know, his, his father's sort of demanding literacy, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and, and pumping them full of books to read. And, um, and his dad, you know, also being like a sort of aspiring, um, writer and, and, and journalist also. Right. And, you know, and Tucker is a writer. He didn't set out to be a media personality. He set out to be a writer. Which is also interesting because he, I was really happy to learn that he did not do well in school and kind of hated school because I also like barely coasted through <laughs> some C minuses and D's and I feel like they kind of passed me in high school as a favor. Um, <laughs> but he's also dyslexic. Like it's so, and he's like this avid reader and writer. Yeah. And his dad didn't even know he uh, didn't graduate college until I told him. A few months ago, when I was there. Wow. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Which is very much like in Dick's character. He was like, he didn't graduate. Oh, I just thought he did. Oh, well, I guess it worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it sticks to this sort of like prevailing message that, that Tucker always has on his show of, um, you know, not like, why go to college if you don't have to, you know, um, being distrustful of higher ed. Um, you know, he yeah. was a, I guess, you know, straight D student. <laughs> all his life and didn't graduate college. You know, he's, he's listed in the yearbook, uh, post, we would call it posthumously. We call it post, post something. He's, he's retroactively included in the, in that year's graduating class, even though he didn't okay. actually graduate. Um, 
and uh uh yeah he was dyslexic but um you know pushed forward and became an avid reader and writer uh and you're right he he's he, he was a print guy first he was absolutely a writer and his writing is actually like beautiful and hilarious and really really wonderful like top-notch literary journalism that he was writing in uh the 90s and early 2000s and just sort of stumbled into television and and um you know he had four kids to raise so that was obviously probably a nice boost in pay to to help that along yeah I, I want to hear a little bit actually about your introduction to Tucker. So in 2016, you wrote this piece that really blew up and this is what spurred your introduction to Tucker. Can you talk a little bit about that piece and then what happened after that? Um, sure. Uh, I guess I could go. I had, uh, so I'll go back even like a, a little bit further. Um, if you want the full, how much time do you have? You want the full story? Um, well, how much time I, do you have? Oh, yeah, no, I've got like, <laughs> like 15 more minutes. So we're good. Okay. So I, I, I can fill up some time with my life story. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, I guess not, not too far back, but I had, so that summer, uh, I was doing tons of reporting. I, that was uh, the summer of 2016. And I was writing for, uh, I was editor at large for um, Out Magazine and The Advocate, which are the two big gay magazines. I guess they're probably like trans magazines now, but at the time they were gay magazines. And, um, uh, and I, you know, I was in, I was always a print guy. I was always in liberal media. I wrote for New York Times and Playboy and a bunch of other places. Uh, so that summer I, I had some big stories. I was doing the cover stories for both magazines about the, uh, Pulse nightclub terrorist attack in Orlando that, you know, on the gay club. Uh, and then I did a profile of, um, Milo Yiannopoulos, who, you know, who he is. Uh, and I like barely knew him and I flew to London to profile him for out, wrote this big, you know, 6,000 word magazine piece on him. And um, like when it got published, there was like all this backlash that like took me by such storm because I wasn't like really into politics. I was just sort of like, I never like made my political views publicly known. I was just, you know, I was doing human interest stories, feature stories, investigative, stuff like that. And um, and that backlash was like so shocking. And I was like, what? I just like wrote it like he's an interesting, really funny, obviously very important guy, probably like the second most interesting, funny and important guy in the world right now next to Donald Trump. If you remember Milo in 2016, I mean, he was like, it was incredible. Yeah. So, uh, so I thought it was like very straightforward interview. I profiled him no differently than I would have done any liberal person, whatever. I thought that's what journalists were supposed to do. And, um, there's a huge backlash, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, um, that was the first time that I was like, what the heck is going on here? You know, like, wait, who are these people? You know, and I was watching like friends of mine, like talk, sh talk smack about my article online and about me. And I'm like, what? I'm like, wow, wait, I need to be paying more attention to this. Not that I hadn't been, you know, being really suspicious of media and everything leading up to that. Anyway, long story short, uh, uh, it was, um, right after Trump's inauguration in February, uh, 2017, uh, when, you know, I was watching the reaction. I was watching like the pussy march and Madonna, like, we're going to burn down the White House. And I'm watching like liberals around me, like crying in coffee shops. And I'm just like, what is, like, what? So I'm like, well, and, and, and more importantly, I was watching, um, you know, all my colleagues, like my bosses and stuff in, in the magazines and newspapers I work for just losing their minds on social media. And I'm like, well, that's very unprofessional. So I, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Why are you throwing a tantrum in front of hundreds of thousands of people? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like well, hmm, aren't you a journalist? Are you supposed to like not do that? I don't know. Are you neutral in this? I, I, maybe I'm, maybe I've got this whole thing wrong all the time, but apparently I did. 
So anyway, I was like, I've had enough. And it was mainly watching like my bosses and colleagues have these reactions. I was like, I'm just going to write something. And just, just so like anyone who might be listening or cares, because I'm like a nobody, but like, just so they know, like, I'm not like these people. Like that was like my main point. I'm going to get across. I just got to get it off my chest. So it's out there in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I did it for uh, the New York Post and the headline was, I'm a gay New Yorker and I'm coming out conservative, which is pretty funny. And, um, and I, it was, I thought it was like super innocent, you know, I was just sort of like, Hey, I believe in free speech. And like, I don't think Trump's a Nazi. And, you know, like, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give him a shot. And, you know, I think that if you're a liberal, sometimes you're in a bubble, like it's super innocent. I thought, uh, and, um, and then it went totally viral and like, you know, and, and I didn't really see that. So that, I was like fired from all my jobs after that. And I lost all my friends and everything. But like online, I only saw all this like love coming at me and I was like, wow, that's kind of amazing. Um, and so it was, you know, I think the story ran on like a Saturday in the, in the New York Post. And then it was that Tuesday that uh, Tucker's producers contacted me to come on a show. And um, I was just sort of like, I kind of knew who he was. I'm like, oh, the guy with the bow tie, which I guess he had ditched a long time ago. I wasn't aware, but I was like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and then I did a little hit about, that story and I'm, I'm you know looking back on it I'm like super dorky and nervous and like <laughs> you know <laughs> making all the mistakes that like first timers do which uh-huh, I still probably make yeah. and then um uh and they just kept asking me back on and I like couldn't really figure out why but I was like okay I guess um and then you know that was like I did that for his show had just launched that November so that was February and I, I'd been a regular for the whole run and was on the last episode of the show weirdly on april 21st which of course we didn't know was gonna be the last episode um tucker and i were making fun of um oh, we were trying to figure out what the plus stood for in lgbtq plus mm-hmm. so yeah i mean that was a segment but the final episode of tucker carlson tonight my segment was analyzing the plus people and figuring it's out everything the plus people it's just everything it's everything, it's everything. <laughs> had the numbers out 97 percent like, of we humans identify everybody as plus. Yeah. everything <laughs> Right, exactly. Except uh, conservatives. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I told Tucker, you could be a plus. Just tell us you're a plus. Yeah. 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 Um so yeah, that's that's was my whole relationship with um the show and, and how I first got invited on. What was your why did you get invited on? And I probably saw you, but I can't even think about it now. I mean it was a it was like a short clip and it was about the trans issue and you know, I, one of the things that I was saying was essentially, essentially that this was like an elitist issue that only really privileged people cared about. Like, you know, it's not like regular working class people are ever thinking about their gender identity. I don't think there is such a thing as gender identity, but you know, like what the hell kind of person is sitting around doing nothing and being like, what is my gender? As if anybody gives a fuck like you know like no this is the the narcissism i'm just going off on this whole other tangent now i didn't say all of these things to Tucker, but i was like at the time i was like this is like an academic idea this is not a real life thing and i think i think he was probably partly interested because i was saying this as like a feminist and a leftist and and criticizing these people who also would probably identify themselves as feminists and leftists. Well, it, well it's absolute decadence. You're right. Gender yeah. identity, the whole de- it's decadent. 
Yeah. It's the final days of Rome, you know? <laughs> it's like the non-binary uh, luggage thief who's an, I mean, that's the most decadent story in the world. But um, what, so so had you like said something and then come under attack and that's how you got on Tucker's radar? I wrote an article um, and it would have been for, I think it may have been for The Spectator actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love The Spectator. I'm sure yeah. you do too. <laughs> that's what I write for. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's my gig. Yeah, um, totally. Um, Yeah, and I mean... I like, and I also was interested because you wrote about your experience dealing with people who were like right wing Republican Christians who probably would be anti gay and how they were loving and supportive towards you. And I had a similar experience, which was one of the many things that led me to not want to associate myself with the left anymore, which was that. I, you know, when I started speaking out about gender identity and I was getting attacked and canceled and I got banned from Twitter and, you know, I was getting protested by thousands and thousands of people and people were saying horrible things about me everywhere, yada, yada, yada. And I got all this support from conservatives and Republicans and these men who would email and say, you know, like, I'm a right wing Christian and I probably disagree with every single thing that you believe in, but I think you're great and I really support you. And like, you <laughs> right? go girl. And it, I mean, you never, you would never get that from a leftist. Never, never. Isn't it? And everyone who's had an experience like you, and I think we've had similar, we come from the same world. We had similar experiences. Everyone has a story like that. And it's always, you know, the love that they felt and always are like, well, I don't, yeah, I might not agree with your lifestyle. Like one, you know, preacher in Texas, I might not agree with your lifestyle, but God you loves you. You might be going to hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, fine. Great. If you, hey, if you think I'm bringing help, that's fine by me. God bless you. You're not trying to kill me. You love me as your brother on earth. That's wonderful. Um, cause I don't want to be celebrated. My God. Like I don't want no gross. fucking. Raytheon Technologies putting my flag on their bombs or Pfizer. What I mean, it's so gross and disgusting and horrible. Let's make, <laughs> well, I, was just, I don't know. I, let's make gay like underground again. It was a lot more fun then. But, uh, <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's like once things get gentrified, yeah. it stops being fun. <laughs> exactly. I, I live in Brooklyn. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, it's ruined. Totally ruined. <laughs> Everything exactly. is too comfortable. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's a, and it's not to say that I think that everybody on the right is great. Of course, there's all sorts of shitty people on all sorts of the ends of the political spectrum, but it is an interesting experience. Oh yeah, it, it totally is. And 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 you, and you were the perfect person, you know, as as we were talking about earlier, that Tucker would immediately have on his show, like the the sort of free-thinking liberal who he might not even agree with, but just, you know, cross, says says one thing that, that goes against trans ideology or some other third rail on the left and gets the mob after her and, you know, doesn't know where to, to go. And Tucker, like, always welcomed those people on his show. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, that's that was, like, more of the, the soul of the show than anything, I think. It wasn't, like, you know, scoring points for the Republican Party, you know? So let's talk about what happened at Fox. Um, when he was fired, um, there was so much speculation as to why a lot of leftists took credit for that, which I thought was probably the dumbest of all the speculation. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, Fox News fired Tucker because the leftists 
said yeah. he was a misogynist. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I think there were some more credible theories. Why did he get fired? Well, he's technically still an employee of Fox News. He's still getting a paycheck. He's a okay. paycheck. He's still in a contract. Um, they pulled a show off the air. Um, so, you know, at this point, it's inarguable, at least in my opinion, with everything I know, that it was ideologically motivated. I mean, it was purely ideological. He didn't violate his contract. He didn't. He was the highest rated cable news host in history. His producing team was the highest, t- uh, the highest performing team of producers in cable news history, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Basically, someone at Fox or on their board or one of these multinational globalist corporations, like maybe BlackRock that makes weapons to bomb Ukrainian children with or Russian children, whoever, uh, one of these uh, companies wanted them off the air. You know, I think that the president of the United States is a really big job. And there are a lot of people who go to great lengths to have control and who gets that job. Mm-hmm. And Tucker's contract expires December 2024, one month after the next election. And Fox is uh, trying to keep him absolutely silent. They were so stupid. They didn't include Twitter in his non-compete, which is why he's <laughs> on Twitter right now. Yep. So, and they never thought Twitter would be a competitor. <clears throat> so that's what's happening there. But they are uh, threatening and harassing Tucker and his um, executive producer, Justin Wells, who's also a gay man, by the way. Uh, you know, Tucker the, Tucker the homophobe. Tucker the homophobe. Yeah, yeah, gay guy wrote his biography and his, his, his <laughs> most trusted confidant and, and right-hand man is also a gay man. Um, but, uh, uh, and I think it kind of showed in the show, the bitchiness and some of the chirons was, you know, top notch, but, um, uh, so it was for whatever issue that he touched, um, the third rail on, whether it was ESG, Ukraine, January 6th, big pharma, uh, it was something or all of them combined that someone said, we're going to get rid of him. Now, in order for that to make sense, you have to understand the mentality of Fox leadership, which is abject stupidity and maximum <laughs> aggression at all times so you know fox still like very much views itself as like this like it's the brand that matters the personalities don't matter and they like didn't under they failed to understand that tucker carlson was uh, a political movement they always saw it as his show was so highly rated because it was the eight o'clock show on fox so whoever we stick in there is going to be the same um, you know, how Fox could they not understand this, this, I, this is what i say uh, this is what i can't wrap my mind around and everyone current fox news employees former fox news hosts megan kelly all these people former fox production teams all tell me the same thing They're like no 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 they're stupid like you don't understand how stupid these people are Brutal. that's like everyone says the same thing because i still cannot be like really no it is so you know they they figured uh they didn't understand that tucker carlson was that millions of people were coming to take cable who didn't belong there wouldn't normally be there only for Tucker Carlson, not just yeah. Fox news. Like for, you know, I think he was artificially propping up the relevance of the entire cable news industry. And, um, he, uh, uh, they've not bounced back. Uh, I think they're completely scrambling. They really don't understand how big, how, how bigly they screwed up. And, uh, that's kind of what it comes down to. Um, in a nutshell, yeah. uh, you know, I, I had my sources tell me, that it was a condition in the Dominion lawsuit. Dominion's owned by Straight State Street Capital, which is the second largest weapons manufacturer in the United States, next to BlackRock. BlackRock has a 10% controlling interest in News Corp. So you go down these like rabbit holes you can all the time, but that's just something interesting. So I was told that the, it, by sources who I trust and I think would know, told me it was a condition in the settlement with Dominion. 
Dominion has denied this. Dominion has sent me sent me threatening letters for saying that. Um, and Fox has denied this, but you know, I can only report what I was told. Uh, so, uh, and I will keep saying that because that's what I was told. Uh, but um, whether that was the case or not, it's you know clear that that this was ideologically motivated, uh, and that that was sort of made further apparent when Fox, in one fell swoop, fired all the remaining employees who were working on Tucker's show. They did that in mid July. Um, one night, you're all fired. Get out. They were waiting for them outside of the control room after the show ended that night. And um, that's really unusual for cable news because you're, especially for Fox, because you're hired to work for the network, not for a program. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if your show gets canceled, you just get moved to another show. Uh, so, you know, Fox was then going through a, a purge of any Tucker loyalists and trying to get rid of all of them from the network also. I like Tucker. Um, but once he was kicked off of Fox, I became like the biggest Tucker fan. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally unashamed about being such a big Tucker fan. I've I've loved listening to hear what he he had to say after leaving Fox. Um, I loved reading about his values. I really loved the story that you told in the introduction. I think about going to um, the funeral of this big biker. Um, and, and talking about why he did that and why he respected that guy. Um, I think, do you remember what the quote was? I wrote it down. I can find it in a sec. Uh, he said, like, Stand oh, tall, stay free, and all use value honor. Stand tall, yeah. Stand tall, stay loyal, remain free, yes. and always value honor, which I thought was perfect. I mean, I think he's such a respectable guy, and I, I think, do you, I mean, do you get the sense that he's more popular than ever? Yeah, he's become a cause, you know, and he's become a figurehead for so much that's happening and so much that people, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, so much of what people are fed up with. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the treatment by Fox News is just the icing on the cake in a way. Um, I mean, it, it, it was so unexpected and Fox is still, Fox is still not given him a reason or publicly said any reason, which just speaks to their total arrogance and i'm sorry to cuss but i heard you cuss earlier so i did so yeah i feel free to because yeah, i ruined it already <laughs> not to sometimes um but just that arrogance uh and yeah he's 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 like a cause now and he, he's a figurehead for for so much that's happening in our country yeah well it was really great to talk with you i really enjoyed this conversation and Again, of course, the book that you wrote is called Tucker. It's such a great looking book. I loved reading it. I hope people pick it up. Where can people get the book? Um, sure. uh, you can go to tuckerthebook.com uh, and find links there. Uh, you can also order direct from the publisher there. Um, or you can go to you know Books A Million, Walmart, Sam's Club, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon. Any of those places should have it. Awesome. Thank you so much again for your time. I appreciate it. Cool. Of course. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, see ya. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. This allows you access to special content, early access to episodes, exclusive access to full videos, and the opportunity to submit questions to select future guests ahead of interviews. 
Plus, you can DM me to your heart's content, and I will reply. Another great way to follow and support my work is by becoming a paid subscriber on Substack. That's www.meganmurphy.ca, which ensures you don't miss a single episode. It's where you can engage with the comment section, access my periodic newsletters, and read Substack-only articles. You can also support this podcast directly on Spotify by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. I produce and host this podcast all by myself and rely entirely on individual donors to sustain my work. This is all me and you, the listener. If you want to keep episodes advertisement-free, as well as free thinking, please consider signing up on Patreon, subscribing on Substack, or donating directly to support this podcast via PayPal at paypal.me slash the same drugs. Every little bit counts and ensures I can stay independent. Thank you so much for supporting conversations outside the algorithm.